for the record, I have played Yakuza 0. That's been a little bit, and, I mean, it was interesting going between the two games, since this game feels kind of like a one step off of Yakuza 0, which I suppose makes sense. We are, of course, specifically referring to the Kiwami version, which is why it has that in the title. Gameplay-wise, like... I feel like... This is going to sound like such a strange complaint. I feel like they were too faithful to the original, and the new ideas they added weren't really all that great. Um, the different stances are awesome, legitimately, and there's a lot of flexibility there. Brawler was kind of eh, but Rush kind of became my go-to once I bothered to sit and actually sit, uh, pay attention to how it works, how to use it, being able to dash behind a person and hit them in the back being able to shortcut my combos, being able to switch in mid, uh, you know, mid, mid attack swing, like, or not a mid attack swing, but I finish the major attack swing, immediately switch or I get knocked down and I switch. Being able to swap between them was awesome. Uh, Beast was obviously very excellent to use because that was the one I used whenever I just wanted things to go away right now. Dragon was interesting because I didn't actually start using it until pretty much the end of the game which is apparently intended in exactly how you're supposed to do that. And I did bother to do the Colosseum enough in order to get to the point where I got the Tiger attack, and I didn't regret that choice at all. Dragon kind of became my go-to by the end there, although I would basically bounce between Dragon Rush and Beast, you know, yellow, pink, and red. I do like the environment interactions, the fact that they have not only their own attacks and their, their own abilities, which can increase those attacks, but the fact that they each have their own heat moves, the fact that most of the encounters, not the trash encounters, the random ones, but the, most of the standard encounters are designed to be next to some bicycles or next to some trash cans. Remember, there's a weapon over there that you can pick up. That's pretty normal. It's, it's kind of standard beat-em-up fare, but it is still worth noting. The difficulty was decent, you know, overall well-designed, changing how often they attack, and I have a very strong feeling that it changed several things I wasn't fully aware of, like maybe changing the overall armor the enemies had, or making it so that you just generate more heat qu more quickly. I'm not sure of the specifics. I know they dodge less and they block less, but I also know, and this is a demonstrable one, your heat moves hit for so much more on easier difficulties. Uh, from going from hard to easy was almost quintuple the damage that I was doing with heat modes. In some cases, I could literally beat a Majima fight in two heat attacks. Just bam, and then bam, and then the fight is over. But that's good. That's how it should be designed. For the record, I played through on hard. And I actually rather enjoyed the hard mode, for the most part. But... I'm speaking mostly of the good stuff now because, well, if you notice the score, you may notice the score was not really that great on the gameplay axis. The game does several things I don't really like. Hang on, one more good thing I do like before I move forward. One of the good things I do like is that the game, it gives you a taste of power. Very Deus Ex, uh, Mankind Divided kind of a thing. Where you start off and it's like, you're strong. And then, you know, you lose all that power. Very Metroid-y is another way to put that. And then you go back to a normal playstyle, and then you build yourself back up to it. So you have a little bit of an idea what you're going to be getting into eventually. I feel that could have been done a little bit better, but I feel that in most cases, so it was still nice to have it. So that's good. The game felt a lot like Kingdom Hearts 2. Hear me out. Because in Kingdom Hearts 2, when you start off the game, you have a few things you can do, and there's definitely skill involved, but by the time you get to the end of the game, you have 50 things you can do, and there is a gargantuan skill cap on what you can accomplish. Same general concept here. One of the videos I watched in preparation for this particular run, excuse me, this room, for this particular room, because we've got rooms and we've got runs, and only one letter off, but they're pronounced completely differently. Uh, 
for this particular room was a no damage fight of the super optional boss of this game. And yeah, that that ceiling that that ceiling cap is pretty high up there. But let's talk about negatives. Um, three big ones come to mind immediately. First is the knockdown mechanic. When you're knocked down, you have to mash uh, the bottom button. You know, you have to mash a button to get up. You're probably thinking, well, what's wrong with that? <sighs> Several things. First of all, mashing is just kind of irritating in general. That's a minor thing, but it is the kind of thing that causes me a degree of physical pain to have to do that constantly, especially given how many enemies have knockdown attacks. Even with the full tree unlocked, there are still plenty of knife hits or combo finishers or gunshots or grenades that will knock you down and so mash, 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 mash. If you don't mash, you get hit or even heated while you're down. So you're penalized for not mashing. Sometimes I, I literally couldn't mash quickly enough because, you know, I'm, I'm old and terrible. But that's the minorest of the complaints I have with that. The second complaint I have with it, it is it feels like the kind of thing that just sort of absolutely destroys the tempo of the combat. So a viewer made a comparison here. It was a great comparison. It was a comparison to the recent Doom 4 and Doom 5. Those games live on the flow of their gameplay and their combat. And those games have multiple mechanics in place to keep that flow going. The knockdown mechanic is the exact opposite of that. It is there to completely interrupt the flow of combat and just make it go, hang on, hang on. Okay, now you can continue. And that just really doesn't feel all that great. I feel like there's other ways they could accomplish that or work around that. Um, this leads me to one of my other complaints, because one of the things you can do is you can use heat. Uh, I'm sorry, no. You can use Rush, sorry. I'm a little tired. I've streamed extra long today to get this game done. And now it's pretty much the time at which I would be getting ready to go to bed, so please forgive me. The Rush mode is something where you can attack in order to get up. I think there's something for Dragon as well, but I think that might require heat. I never actually got it to work, but I know there's definitely one for Rush mode. So that's something, and that could have been a thing. Maybe each mode has its own thing to get up. That's a talent you unlock or something. Maybe there's a different type of button press. Maybe it depends on how close you are to me. There's plenty of contextual stuff in this game. But that leads me into the heat problem. Apparently, this is something that's going to change in future games, but I really didn't like how heat was handled as a resource in this game. Because you hit enemies, and th there's a few specific talents that give you, like, uh, one-per-fight one bonuses. Like, the, if you manage not to get hit for several seconds at the beginning of the fight, huge heat bonus. If you manage to grab someone right at the beginning of the fight, huge heat bonus. Stuff like that, right? But other than that, you generate heat by hitting. And occasionally by docking and ducking and blodging. Dodging and blocking. Oh my god, I was just mixing those two up, wasn't I? So that's cool. The heat generation isn't great, but it contributes to the other problem, which is heat expenditure. So you get hit, you lose heat. Okay, that makes a degree of sense. But so many of the moves, and I don't mean the heat moves, just so many of the general abilities you have depend on having heat to act them. Just a simple counterattack requires heat, to name one example of what I'm talking about. And I know that this sounds greedy, and it would make the game easier, and that's unfortunate. But I think the game would be better if you had if, if if we did a polishing pass on so many of those extra moves and picked out specific ones of each stance that didn't require heat. The reason why is because that puts more kit into the hands of the player, and now the player has more that they can do in any given combat. Also, rewarding skill while I'm on the subject. My opinion. I think that would have been a big improvement and really help with that. Naturally, the final complaint, though, I have is... <laughs> The Kiwami moves. 
these can go to hell. I, my first thought is to just eject them entirely from the gameplay. For those of you not aware of how this works exactly, the way it works is every now and again an enemy just goes, and they, they, they have an aura of a specific color, and what you have to do is you have to, you have to have at least one heat. You have to have a, one full bar, and you have to be of the color they are, and then you hit the button, and you knock them out of it, and you get a free hit on them, which does okay-ish damage. It, it dwindles off pretty fast. It's not great damage. It's mostly just to interrupt them from doing it. Why? Well, if they complete it, they go into heat, and they also regen while they're doing it. They regen a lot. We're talking like almost a full health bar of regen in some cases, especially the later Majima fights. That mechanic sucks. So just straight up ejecting it, totally cool with that. But let's talk some other ways we could fix that. First of all, you can make it so the regen doesn't trigger until they finish it. So you know, in several of the fights, they would start regening, and it would be like before I actually managed to get in range to get the hit off. So half of a health bar or a quarter of a health bar which is a lot of health, by the way. Completely regen just because, you know, I didn't have the ability to interact in quickly enough. So push the regen to the end of the animation. Maybe give me more of a reward for successfully interrupting it. Maybe use the health, the second health bar idea. This is something some games do, where they basically get a second health bar, like a shield or whatever. And that's what you have to actually break through. Now, if you man it, if you have the heat on you, instant break and it's gone. If you don't, or you don't want to spend it, you can just try to do damage and try to push through this health bar, and if you successfully get through it, you also interrupt them. You could make it so that maybe certain types of attacks counteract it, maybe like a make a crude hand, rock, paper, scissors kind of a thing, rather than having to be the specific type. Or you could keep it the specific type. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry, I just got a text literally just now that my mom... Uh, just won about a thousand bucks on the slots. That's hysterical. Sorry. <laughs> Go, Mom. Go, Lord, Mom. Anyways. <clears throat> you know, make it so that uh, maybe you want, maybe they're yellow and so you're yellow. Okay. Well, maybe certain types of attacks will knock them out of it. Or maybe certain types of attacks will interrupt it. Or maybe certain types, of, maybe uh, if you actually manage the heat move, that's like the thing that really benefits you. I don't know. There's a lot of ways we could workshop this. As is, no thank you. This brings me to my final problem with the game, and that is Jingu. <laughs> the Jingu fights were terrible. All of them. Hear me out. So first we have a boring Shimano fight, which could be polished. Then we, actually, first we have a sh uh, an ad fight. Then we have a boring Shimano fight, which is also an ad fight. Then we have a massive ad fight. Then we have an ad fight, and then we have an ad fight. And then we have a mini-boss. Then we have an ad fight with a mini-boss. Then we have two mini-bosses and an ad fight. Then we fight an ad fight, an ad fight. And then we fight Jingu. I think I didn't miss any in there. Does this sound, does this sound like problematic? Most of these enemies are irritating, and it just became kind of a slog after a while, especially since the overall majority of these enemies are either knife wielders or gun wielders, which wouldn't be too bad except knockdown, which we already complained about. I got so frustrated in the final Jingu fights that I had to actually pause, go, and no joke, I went, I went into my living room, I've got an exercise mat there, and I just sat and took a moment, focused on my breathing, you know, effectively meditated, you know, just centered my thoughts for a good minute in order to completely come back at the fight with a fresh mind. And I beat it, I beat it on hard, thank you very much, but that fight sucks, that is not a well-designed fight. And it's even worse because the super ads that you fight while fighting him will get back up after the first time you beat them. 
frankly, I don't think I could have done that if I didn't have the tiger move, and even that was kind of a near thing. And also drained the hell out of my resources, which is a damn shame, because it led to an amazing fight. The final fight with Nishiki was awesome. Probably the best fight in the entire game. I actually had a lot of fun going through and maneuvering, and basically what I did is I switched to Rush, and I would go back and forth between Rush and Beast, and I was just kind of watching him, watching his health bar, watching how much damage he took, watching his attack range. I wanted to at least push him down one health bar so he would activate his thing, then he did, then he Kiwami'd, and he regened all of his health all the way back up to full, because the Kiwami thing is terrible, but we already talked about that. <laughs> I was already heat drained by the time that happened. Oh yeah, they like to trigger it when you, when you use a heat move, that's another thing. I'm pretty sure that's on purpose. Anyways. Managed to watch the whole fight. His his attack style is so brutal, but so uh, counterable, and that's what ultimately what I ended up doing was to, was to just straight up counter my way to victory. But I had to have that initial moment of watching, and I had to roam around and take the time and blow the rest of my inventory, keeping my health up in order to do that. But I could do that, and he had a variety of attacks, and there were multiple approaches to it, and I managed it. And it was awesome. It was fun. It was incredible. It also had some great thematic significance, which I suppose is a good time to segue into story. As usual, we are already at the point where spoilers are a thing. This is a rumination. Spoilers are a thing. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Yakuza 0 and Yakuza Kiwami 1 both manage something that I really enjoy. And I've noticed a lot of Japanese media in general tends to hit this very well. It's slice-of-life stories. You know, stuff that's really ground level, right? The kind of thing that you could just see happening to you or happening to a friend of yours or happening in just everyday life. And I, there's always been something I don't know how to properly express that just adds to my enjoyment of those types of stories. I love it. I eat it up. Um, so I, I really enjoy how most of this game was fairly low tier. I mean, yeah, the 10 billion yen and all that. But this was effectively just the story of one group of people in one clan who are pushing for one particular score and all of their machinations and manipulations on each other. And Kiryu just kind of walking his way through because he doesn't really want anything to do with any of this, right? Kiryu himself is awesome. I've described the Mario character archetype before, and Kiryu is probably one of the best examples of that I've ever seen. He's the kind of person who will immediately and effortlessly decide, yeah, of course I'm going to help you without any ask for reward. Why wouldn't I? He's just a generally good person. But what's interesting, some of you are aware of this, the Mario archetype requires the setting support that. You can't be the Mario in Warhammer 40k, it's not going to work. You'd think in a setting as down-to-earth and frankly rather dark and gritty as the Yakuza series is, would not allow, would not permit Kiryu to be the Mario. And yet it does. It's very strange. Because he goes around... And thanks to simply his natural gravitas, his charisma, and beating sense into people, he actually does manage to be the Mario. The setting does conform to that. I find myself wondering, I, for the record, I have not played anything past the... These, I've played Zero, One Kiwami, and Judgment. That's it. So, with that out of the way, I find myself wondering if the remainder of it is going to be... like If, if the setting is literally going to become a better place because he's in it, because he's trying to do that... Interesting thoughts. Anyways, we shouldn't talk about him too much. Um, Haruka, though. I want to talk about Haruka because they do a great thing. She's adorable. She's, she's, she's just, oh my gosh. Um, but what they do is they make sure that the player, along with Kiryu, both have an immediate reason to care about and protect her right off the bat. It's one of the first things they do. 
she's just there and she she's she's you know got the gun and everyone else is dead and oh my gosh we need to take care of her and it's she's an orphan and she was looking for her mother and there's this lost puppy could you go help this puppy actually the puppy quest totally sucks in gameplay but story wise we want to help the puppy out and it's kind of a band-aid thing to ensure that you care and then she has a regular presence throughout most of the rest of the game and she's kind of she she skips over most of the archetypes of being childish and instead is simply childlike we also get the impression that she's been going through a lot of stuff and that she's not quite emotionally there. That's not an insult. In fact, I'm quite worried about her. I wonder if she will be showing up in future games. Don't spoil. The theme of this... No, let's not go into that. Let's talk about the supporting cast. we got Reina. She was alright, I guess. Um, and then she was gone. And then we got Shinji. He was a bro. He was cool. And then he's gone. Okay, we've got Kazuki. He was actually really cool, and then he's gone. And then we've got um, Ka uh, Kashikawa. Kashikawa? He's cool. He's awesome. He's gone. Tereda, he's cool. He's gone. <laughs> I bring this all up because one of the things I noted in this game, it has a strong supporting cast. It really does. But most of them kind of dip in and out of the narrative very infrequently. Very few actual scenes to each character and very little characterization or character arcing for any of them. The big exception to that would probably be Date and the Florist. Date was awesome. Um, pretty much your standard, I'm a cop who's going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Nothing wrong with that archetype. In fact, it's awesome to see. And I really enjoyed his character in general. Even him trying to be a better dad was pretty cool. D the florist was interesting because he was also trying to be a better dad. Huh. I almost feel like there's some kind of fatherhood theme going throughout this thing. It's okay. Kiryu's not a father. He's just... Hmm. I mean, family's chosen. I'm just saying. Although she does call him uncle, but that's okay. I can I can sympathize with that one point being, the florist was pretty cool too. You look at him and you think, oh my gosh. But no, he's actually a very intelligent, long-term thinker who knows exactly what he's doing, exactly what he wants. He just happens to be doing it illegally. But he's still a legitimately good person. This is actually a weirdly recurring trend in the Yakuza series. We, we meet people who are criminals, who are decent people. I mean, look at our dad, right? Our, our adopted dad, you know, the one who killed our parents, that one. Um, Kazuma, there we go. I wrote, I wrote down his name because I can never think of his name. Kazuma. A lot of people die in this game, which I'm totally okay with, by the way, because they kind of should. It is a crime drama. That is how that works. It would be weird if they didn't. But, oh, and yeah, I didn't even mention Yumi. Anyways, <clears throat> I'll look at my notes, because I have a couple other tidbits I really want to mention here before I really nail this down. Let's talk about the villains. I already mentioned Jingu, and I feel like he doesn't work, but I want to talk more about the why. So Jingu, uh, we've got this theme of, uh, we've got two major themes, I would say, throughout the course of the work. One I already mentioned, the fatherhood thing. That's mostly on the hero and hero's side of thing. But we've also got, which affects everyone, how we approach and how we deal with things. They, they mention a lot of facing your fate and being able to endure your suffering in order to move forward, right? Which is a form of acceptance and coping and dealing with grief and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, I'm with that. It... Shimano doesn't really fit into that theme, but he doesn't really need to because he's the plot villain. He's the one who is effectively behind everything. He's the manipulator, the schemer. He's a classic Type 3 villain, almost almost, almost to a T. Stutter, stutter, stutter. And he's someone who is kind of the, the, the big push behind most of the events of the plot. Most of the manipulation, the assassination, repositioning, ensuring these people are here, trying to push Nishiki into his start of darkness, just all sorts of stuff could be traced back to him. Then we've got, uh, well, we've got Nishiki. I'll actually save him for a minute. 
But Nishki, I just want to mention very quickly, Nishki is the thematic villain. So we've got the plot villain. He's the one actually behind the structure and events of the plot. The thematic villain is the one who is most thematically connected to us, our former blood brother and all that fun stuff, but also, again, the person who didn't, and frankly, couldn't face up to what he what was going through. In fact, if you remember, he was going to commit seppuku before he was pushed one little bit too far, and he decided, well, instead of killing myself, I'll just go ahead and do this other thing. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But that leaves Jingu. What the hell's Jingu? Now, the funny thing is, if you're paying attention, he's both. He just fails at both. He's the one behind everything, and I've been manipulating from the very beginning. So he's the plot villain. But he also used to be a good man until he became this evil, horrible shell. So that's the thematic thing. The problem is both of those fall flat for me. The plot thing falls flat because, I mean, ignoring the fact that we meet him at the very end of the game, which is something that is possible to do, just doesn't work all that well. The fact is, he doesn't come across as some kind of master manipulator. He comes across as an idiot who has no idea what he's doing, and is just kind of flailing around because power and money are great, yo! Uh, I've heard him referred to as a bad Bond villain, and I agree. Thematically, he doesn't work because all we're done is told how great of a person he used to be and how he had this horrible start of darkness and he became this horrible person. No, except there's two problems with that. First of all, we don't see or or, or anything. There's no presence of him being a better person, so we're, it's, we're being told, not shown. Problem number one. Problem number two. When he does show up, he's a stupid Sith. You remember, you remember Darth Puppies? <laughs> Dead Puppies. That's him. That is straight up this guy. He is laughably evil. Disgustingly, stupidly evil. Tries to shoot his daughter twice. Intentionally. That, that, that I mean, it, it's worse, and it goes down from there. But it's just, that's, that's how horrible and disgusting of a human being this person is. So I don't buy it on either count. Which leads me to my main complaint. Eject him. Entirely. Replace him, narratively, with the other two villains. Have Shimano be the main one who is behind most of these events, and have him survive past his, you know, past being shot by, uh, Tereda? Taneda? I can never remember his name. He, he, he was a cool character and then he was gone. Have him survive. Have him be the, the, the ad fight if you have to. But you don't even have to do that. Pay attention to the cutscenes. So we go through the mob. Okay, let me rewind a second. Here's how I would restructure this. Please forgive me. I'm curious of your thoughts of how you would, you would think of this. So, we have the fight with Shimano. Now, I'm okay with Shimano dying there. I am. Some of my viewers were suggesting he lives, but let's just say he dies there. So he's dead. Cool. Then we go and we encounter the mob. That's just a whole bunch of street gang thugs who were all told they were going to get tons and tons of money by Nishiki. Nishiki just hired them out and just is sending dozens and dozens of people out. So we have our big moment of awesome. Then we go to the Millennial Tower. Let's eject the MIA fights. They're kind of unnecessary, and frankly, they're kind of boring. So, remove those from the equation. We go to the Millennium Tower, we go up to the top, we have our heartwarming scene between Yumi and Haruka. Nishiki walks down the stairs. And you notice I just skipped all of the Jingu stuff, because that's exactly my point. Coach completely ejected from the narrative entirely. Get rid of the, the three encounters, I think. Four? Eh, something like that. Get rid of all the cutscenes. Just remove it entirely. Instead, just cut straight to Nishiki coming down. Any of the unnecessary, or excuse me, any of the exposition that was in the previous scenes gets baked under Nishiki instead of under Jingu. Nishiki has his heart to heart. He mentions his thematic reasons for why he's doing this. I'm not going to lose to Kiryu again. I, you need to acknowledge all that I've accomplished. Amazing boss fight. We get to the end. He gets to the point where, you know, he, he's defeated and, and gone and dead, and I don't even know how to deal with this. He ends up at, uh, hurting 
maybe even shooting Yumi in the process. That breaks him a little bit. So he decides to walk in. Uh, maybe maybe he was like, no, I can't let the money be gone, right? I've, I've done all of this for that money. I need that money. Shoots Yumi. She falls. He realizes what he's done. He walks in. He shoots the bomb. Boom, he's dead. There you go. Restructured. Jingo ejected entirely. The only real niggle in this is who is Haruka's father. But honestly, we've got two big candidates for that right now. We've got Nishiki and Kiryu, so either of those would fit just fine. What do you think? Nishiki's an interesting character to talk about in general. As a leader, he was given a position of power and authority and the kind of thing that most people would strive to because he, they needed someone to, be, to, to, to make a place for Kiryu and to take care of Kiryu when he got out of there. Huh. Now, here's a question. Do you think that he was deliberately given people who don't really respect him? Or do you think it's just that nobody respects him, so no matter who was put under him, that would always be a problem? I lean towards the latter, but it is interpretive. I'm curious of your thoughts, as always. Naturally, he just gets walked all over by everyone. By he gets Listen, he walks up to the doctor, and he gets completely walked over by him. He gets walked over by his, uh, his subordinate, who's I didn't write down his name, please forgive me. And then he gets all walked over by his frickin' boss, literally gets down and just starts bonking his head on the ground to show how pathetic and sad he is. And I want you to compare and contrast this, because Kiryu... Like, Nishiki is so pathetic in comparison to Kiryu. Kiryu, he walks into a uh, pawn shop, and he's trying to get this ring back. And the guy says, no, it's this much. Okay, he goes and borrows some money and goes back. No, it's it's gone up in price. Oh, okay, well, I'll go and borrow some more money, and then I'll come back. Oh, no, I took it away from sale. Why? Well, because I reserved it for you. You don't have to pay me. Here you go. That's Kiryu. That's a leader right there. And I mean that with sincerity. I, I, that's only one example, but it's all over the place in this game. Kiryu has such a natural, natural charisma to him that the, the, he just kind of naturally ends up moving and people naturally end up following him. It's a specific type of charisma. Some people can, can be charismatic with their voice, some with their looks, some with how they move, but some people just have that presence, and that's Kiryu. And so everyone is constantly looking up to him and praising him. And what was I talking about again? Oh yeah, Nishiki, right. I'm sorry, I'm memeing a little bit. I was I was intending, I was going to structure that a little bit differently and start talking about Nishiki and then immediately drift into talking about Kiryu. But I don't want to be mean, because I do like Nishiki as a character. He is someone who has lost his core. Let me explain that really quick, if you don't mind. Your core is what really matters to you. It can vary tremendously, whatever it is. It's up to you, of course. But that's what makes everything else worthwhile. When your car breaks down, or when you lose your job, or when you get hurt, or when you get run over by a car... What keeps you what keeps you going? And don't say momentum, although that is a valid answer. But momentum is well, that only lasts so far. It just kind of peters out after a while. You need a reason. Something that actually really matters to you. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's several hobbies. Maybe you really love your painting and you just pour your soul into it. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you actually really care about your maybe you have family or friends. Or maybe you have multiple cores. That's totally cool too, and I know several people who do. But this leads me to Nishki. Funnily enough, Nishiki and Kiryu both lose several cores throughout the course of this work. Kiryu only continues going on at the end because of Haruka. If it wasn't for that, he would have lost everything, just like Nishiki did. He was willing to accept that. Nishiki lost everything. He lost his... he lost Yumi. Because, you know, the, the whole amnesia can't deal with that thing. He lost his chance for respect. I, I said I'll talk about that. I'm still getting there. <laughs> he lost his sister. 
He lost any chance of proving himself or being decent, and of course he lost Kiryu. He had no core. And then he goes and he attacks, I can't remember his name, guts him, and says, well, you can tell him, you know, I killed him, and I'm going to rise to the top, slick my hair back with blood. It's a good scene. It's a great scene. You poor sad man. Because that is someone who does not have anything and is trying desperately to find something to fill that gap. I bet some of you know what that feels like. Probably not to the stabbing somewhat extent, but you get the point. This will be a recurring trend in the movies we'll be discussing next year. I talk about this core thing quite a bit because there's several of the movies we discussed. Fight Club uh, have have to do with what people do when they have no core. Momentum can only take you so far. And a lot of people tend to really try to cling to something, grasp anything they can to try and have a reason, a purpose, of why they keep bothering. And that's exactly what he did. In that moment, he was pushed, and he's like, okay, fine, I'm going to climb to the top no matter what it takes, and I'll kill as many people as I need to, because that way it'll be worth something. I'll be worth something. It will feel so much better, and I will be happy and fulfilled, and it's going to do it, damn it. I'm going to get there, and I guarantee you, if he had actually made it to the top, it would have been hollow for him. Not necessarily because being on the top is hollow, but because for him it would be. And all of this got started by one tiny little event. One of the things I really do enjoy about this series, and all three games have this that I've played so far, Zero, One, Kiwami, and Judgment, is how many things happen because of one tiny little thing. It's actually very Grand Theft Auto is another good example of this type of storytelling. One tiny little thing happens and it just sets off this massive change that ends up being a sea change. Just completely overhauls the status quo. Dojima decided to try and violate Yumi. Kiryu, or excuse me, excuse me, uh, Nishiki, decided to kill Dojima. Okay, that's not a little thing. But then Kiryu decided to take the blame. Very quickly, by the way. Again, natural leader. Just immediately took charge and said, here's how this is going. I'm going to take the blame for this. And that one little decision made everything happen. I'm not even sure of the full effects of this, because I haven't played 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 12 or 30 for 6 or 7. But I find myself wondering what would have happened if he hadn't. Shimano flat out states that if he had killed him, yeah, sure, he would have done a stint, but, I mean, that probably would have helped his cred. Nishiki's cred. But instead, Kiryu had to do the, the right thing, which may or may not have been the correct thing. And that is my final question to you. I always like to ask these questions of these ruminations. Do you think what Kiryu did was correct? It was obviously right. It was, it was the right thing to do, to be there for his friend, to help support him. You get Yumi out of here, you take care of your sister, you, you do the thing, I'll take the rap for you. Right thing. Was it correct? Was it pragmatically correct? Was it, was it functionally, practically correct? I'm not sure. And I don't know much of the consequences going forwards, but it's an interesting thing to think about. I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this one. This was a fun game to go through, except when it pissed me off horribly, which kind of describes the game in a nutshell, I think. I'll see you next time, guys.